Good morning. I'm Joanna Roach, and you're listening to The Nature of Nantucket. And I'm here with Jason Finger, who is the historian and curator of the Mitchell House at Mariah Mitchell, and who is going to share some of the history of the Vestal Street Observatory with us today. So welcome, Jason. Thank you. So that building is so curious. I'd love to just kind of dig in and talk a little bit about how did it get there and what was it used for? And I know there's a great story about who built it. So I don't, I'm not sure where you want to start. Let's, let's uh, explore that a little bit. Okay. So, well, maybe I'll take you back in time. So in, when the Mitchells moved into One Vestal Street, when Mariah moved in with her, uh, actually she didn't move in with her family. She was uh, born in the house. But when her parents moved in with their two children, what actually stood next door to the Mitchell house where our observatory is today was Mariah's grandfather's house. And it had been moved there from the area where the Methodist church is, or so that's what I've always been led to believe. And when the Mariah Mitchell Association opened in 1903 opened our doors everything started in the Mitchell house so we had our natural science displays our science library the Mitchell memorabilia um, and the kind of fledgling astronomy room or you know books and other things including later Mariah's Dolan telescope in 1906 the Mariah Mitchell Association was actually given Mariah's Alvin Clark telescope And this was a telescope that she actually worked with Alvin Clark to create in the late 1850s. She was actually given money by a group called the Women of America that was headed by Elizabeth Peabody. And it was a subscription service to make sure that America's first woman astronomer had a proper telescope. And they raised the money. It wasn't enough to get Mariah exactly what she wanted. (laughs) So she was a little disappointed in that. She wouldn't have said that out loud. But she and Alvin Clark uh, created the telescope. And it was passed down in the family, somehow managed to get its way out of the family. But this wonderful couple purchased it in 1906 and wanted to give it to the Mariah Mitchell Association, which they did. The telescope is a little too big to fit in the Mitchell house. And so it kind of made the Mariah Mitchell Association realize it was time to have an observatory and to get serious about astronomy. So in, at that time, they came up with the idea of building an observatory. So the association took down the house where the observatory is now, Mariah's grandfather's house, and they built the observatory. And it was just the piece that is under the dome that you see on Vestal Street today. So that was the 1908 piece of the observatory that was built. Yes, and who was it built by? Well, that's a whole other can of worms. We don't actually have a lot of information about who particularly built it. There were some people who came from Boston to build it. There was fundraising around it. I believe it was somewhere in the neighborhood of, I want to say $5,000 to build the observatory. <laughs> Money was acquired by and from Andrew Carnegie to help build it. And they were quite successful in, in creating it. It's unique, as all observatories are, in the fact that The way it is built, it is done so that the telescope is not on the ground. The pier that the telescope is on goes all the way. It's not on the building, I should say. It goes all the way through the floors, all the way down into the ground. And I only recently, probably about two years ago, found plans that kind of showed how they layered the sand 
and pour it in cement and what have you to make kind of what the floor is that goes around that that piece. So that room that you enter into through the front door is actually called the pillar room. And it is literally the room that holds the pillar for the telescope. So that keeps the telescope from moving around if the building is being jostled in any way. Right. Right. And then how did those side buildings come to be and and have because it's like a little compound now? It it is. It's really it's really a unique compound. And it's always fun to hear people's expression as they walk up Vestal Street and they see Mariah's house and they don't realize that there's going to be a brick observatory on the other side. So that other component, which I'll refer to as kind of like the castle like structure that people are familiar with, was actually added about 1922. And they did that because the fellow astronomy fellow and then astronomer needed a place to one have a warmer place to work in the in the fall and the spring. So at that point, she was the person who had that job was still only part time. And also the the fellows and then the fellow who would become our first astronomer, Margaret Harwood, had been voracious in their taking of Um, night sky photographs and the night sky photographs are on glass plates and they needed to be stored in a climate controlled or at least from the 1922 perspective climate controlled place and so they built what they referred to as the astronomical study most of the money was donated by the Hinchman family who is related to Mariah and were basically the founders of the organization. And then the Mariah Mitchell Association raised the last about $1,500 or so through subscription to build that piece. And it was actually named in honor of an MMA treasurer and family member, Eliza Mitchell. And it opened in 1922. So it has a full basement where they could store the glass plates and then an astronomical study, which is really fun if people have not been in it or if they have. It has all its original woodwork and all of the original you know, glass plates that are along a um, a bookshelf and they light up behind them. And in fact, I just was sent some photographs that were found at the U.S. Naval Observatory that show Margaret Harwood and actually a really another famous woman astronomer, Cecilia Payne Gaspuchkin, both in that astronomical study with those um, glass plates, same glass plates behind them. Wow, that is really interesting. So this building has really come to life in that first 20 years of the new century. And then for many years, it was staffed primarily by part-time astronomers. And you, I think, shared the name of the first one, which is Margaret Harwood. Tell us a little bit about her and her history with the MMA. So the MMA had several uh, fellows over the first decade or so into the, I'd say the late 19-teens, early 1920s. And the MMA's observatory was closely aligned with the Harvard College Observatory. It was, in fact, Pickering, who was the director there, and Annie Jump Cannon, uh, who was an astronomer there, who really helped start the observatory and the astronomy program at the Mariah Mitchell Association. And so young women, mostly women who have recently graduated would, were cycling through as fellows and would do summer research projects and do some moon nights, which became what people know today as our open nights. And Margaret Harwood started as a fellow, and then the organization realized that they wanted somebody to be here full time. So they hired Margaret away from Harvard College Observatory, and she became our first astronomer. There are people on island who remember Margaret Harwood. And also there are several people on island who were heavily influenced by Margaret Harwood. In fact, our former director of natural science 
Eileen McGrath credited with credited Margaret Harwood with having her get to Radcliffe. Uh, she made sure that she helped her find the funding and um, Margaret Maharwood had been, was what they referred to as a cliffy. And so Eileen went in large part because of that influence of Margaret Harwood. And there are, are men on the island who are also kind of influenced by Margaret because of the, the open nights and having served as assistants and what have you. And there are several other people on the island who were also uh, largely influenced by her. She was I've heard all kinds of stories about her. She was a feisty individual. I've met her great niece and her great nephew who had lots of stories to tell about her. They actually gave us a pen and a bracelet that the MMA had given her on one of her birthdays. And, you know, other kinds of stories that I've been told by various people about just fun stories about her. She sounded like an interesting individual, a rugged individual. And I think she made a big difference in the lives of many people on the island because of her work in astronomy and influencing them. And how long was she here, Jason? She was here into the about 1960s, and then Dort Hofleit became the second director of the observatory. And um, Margaret Harwood would continue to come to Nantucket in the summertime, split her time between Cambridge and Nantucket. But Dort was here into the 1970s, and she really was a person who started, today we know as the REU uh, Astronomy Program for interns here at the Mariah Mitchell Association, which is through the National Science Foundation. And the program that she started with us, Dorit did, really is something that influenced the NSF into creating this astronomy um, research experiences for undergraduates. And then after Dorit, Lee Belserine came along and she was here in the early 80s into, I want to say the late 80s, early 90s. She's really the first astronomer that I remember. Um, I do remember Dorit and I had met Dorit many times, um, but Lee was the active astronomer when I started kind of volunteering at the Mariah Mitchell Association. They're all been really interesting, really interesting women. So after we had a few others after, after Lee came along too. And Margaret, she was there that for like 40 years. She was here for a long time. She left several times for various things. There were things were shut down. Um, she left for, to help with the war effort during World War II. You know, she was the first woman to run a small private observatory in the United States. And she went off and did various eclipse viewing trips, bringing people with her kind of in the spirit of, of Mariah. But she really had a lasting influence and really shaped what our astronomy program would become here at the Mariah Mitchell Association. All right. I'd like to um, just jump back to something you mentioned earlier about photographs from the Naval Observatory, because I'd love you to share a little bit about the connection that Mariah had to the Naval Observatory and her role. So the U.S. Naval Observatory was actually a place uh, that William Mitchell, her father, was offered a position, but he turned it down because he didn't want to leave Nantucket and drag his family to Washington, D.C. But Mariah would work for the U.S. Coast Survey, and that had that's kind of connected to the U.S. Naval Obser- Observatory, and she would work kind of under the radar, and I think I've, I've talked about this before. She, she was, the superintendent wanted to hire her to work for the Coast Survey. And uh, her father said no, because he was afraid that the superintendent would lose his position if he did that, because Mariah would have been the first woman that they hired. But she and her brother Henry would go up into Maine and do studies with him along the coast. Um, William Mitchell was an active uh, worker for the for the U.S. Coast Survey. They did 
meteorological and astronomical observations that were then used for um, making tide charts. So it was rather important work. So she would always kind of continue to work for them under the radar. But there's a lot of um, connections too, because Mariah and her father were loaned equipment by the U.S. Naval Observatory and the Harvard College Observatory in order to be able to do the work that they were doing, which, as as I said, was an important work to be done. So they had telescopes and other pieces of astronomical equipment that came from them, that came from the Harvard College Observatory, that came from West Point, and, and the Mitchell House, and then later the Pacific Bank where they would live were both considered observatories. And the work that they were doing was an important part of the kind of the larger work that was going on in astronomy. And as I said, in you know tides and, and charting the tides and what have you. Mm-hmm. And I think that I also read somewhere that the U.S. Navy used her charts for like 100 years. Yeah, a lot of the work that Mariah did would be used by various places, um, including the work that she did for the Nautical Almanac as well, because she did the uh, worked on the ephemeris of Venus. And those were records that were done and pu- and published every year. In fact, we have still have those periodicals in our collection, some of which include what Mariah's work. She would only give it up after she had been at Vassar for a few years. She was at first afraid that maybe the Vassar job wouldn't work out well for her and she'd need something to fall back on. But it got to the point that she was doing just fine at Vassar and she was going to stay at Vassar. So she gave up the nautical almanac work because it became it became too much for her. But she was a computer for the nautical almanac. But yeah, there's a lot of those things that are still still relevant today. We've I've had researchers come who are doing meteorological research um, and use William have used William Mitchell's meteorological journals to help them track and predict storms today and in future storms. And they can do that with, you know, it's beyond me, <laughs> but, but they can use Williams journals to do that MRI's journals. So their research is still helps. Great. Thank you. And what about, you know, I'd love you to share a story about the sundial, right? Let's take, let's take this back to uh, Vestal Street as we sort of wrap up our talk this morning. Tell me about the significance of the sundial. So that sundial was actually done by Robert DiCurcio. I want to say it was probably in the late 1980s. It was about the time actually that we added the, after we added this, the seminar room, which is the wooden structure that bumps into the other side of the 1908 observatory, which our RAU students use. And it was something that Mr. DiCurcio um, was, a, you know, was a scientist and he had a lot of different interests. And this was something that he really wanted to do. And he worked somewhat with uh, Vladimir Strelnitsky later on with it. But it, it cannot be moved. <laughs> it has to stay in the place that it's in because it's an incredibly accurate sundial. Um, it not only tells the time, but it, 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 it can tell you the date and various details to, to the point that a normal kind of sundial that you just have in your garden or the sundial that's on the side of the house in Sconset can do. So it was very accurate. It took him a very long time to create and I am not very good at using it, I have to admit. Vladimir Strelnitsky tried numerous times to teach me how to use it. But I would be um, a disappointment to Mariah when it comes to <laughs> things like celestial navigation or things like that. Because that's, just not, that's not the way my brain works. <laughs> well, I think that sundials, you know, haven't been used for <laughs> telling time for quite, quite a while now. So... Thank you, Jason, for sharing all of that history with us today. And tell us a little bit about the renovation that's happening down on Vestal Street now. 
So after many, many years of um, not having any work done to it, it's a brick building, the uh, observatory was due for some help. So we received a Community Preservation Act grant that is allowing us to do the first phase of the project, which is the conservation of the exterior of the brick portions of the building and work to the brick on the interior of the building. So we are going to, and the work is already uh, started, um, but we are going to be doing a lot of repointing of the brick um, on all sides of the building work to the copper roof. That is not the original dome, but that dome that people see today is from the early 1940s. And so some repairs need to be done to the dome and the copper roof. We have to do some work to replace uh, the iron lintels that are in the building above the windows and and the doors. They, um, over time, where leaks and water have gotten in, it has caused rusting to those pieces, which then causes oxide jacking, which causes shifting and popping and all kinds of other things. So the mason will be removing um, the brickwork and the stone in those places and replacing the iron with steel so that won't happen again and then replacing replacing all the grout um, that you see it's a very tedious and long process the mason it's actually wayne morris who's worked on our research center for us he's actually has to match all of the grout or um, mortar that you see which dates from between 1908 and 1922. So he is literally crushing rocks to match that grout because of how it's how it appears visually, but then also how it how it is made up um, within. So he's crushing a lot of white rocks at the moment to try and match that grout, but he's gotten actually a very good, a very good match. So we're really excited to be able to give the observatory uh, the attention that it needs, especially since this is the anniversary of that 1922 edition this year. That's great. And yeah, so we're excited. Well, thank you for coming today and sharing all of those stories with us. That's great. And I'd love to encourage the listeners to take a walk through Vestal Street in our campus and check out the sundial and check out the observatory and you can understand all the great stories that Jason just shared. You have been listening to Joanna Roach. I'm with the Mariah Mitchell Association and our show is called The Nature of Nantucket. Have a great day.